Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 92, recorded here on November 26, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. So as always, please do your own homework. Uh, We'll get started with the market update outlook. Uh, U.S. stocks closed slightly higher on Friday to mark four consecutive weeks of gains of the 11 S&P sectors. Nine closed in positive territory during the shortened session led by healthcare. Communication services and technology were the two losers. Friday's economic calendar only had the S&P Global Flash U.S. Composite PMI on the docket, which showed that private sector employment in November fell for the first time since June 2020. Retail sentiment appeared buoyant following the strong market rally in November. Retail investors net bought $4.8 billion of cash equities this past week, 2.3 standard deviations above the last 12-month average, and the highest weekly inflow recorded since April 2022, according to a J.P. Morgan analyst. ETF saw an inflow of $2.7 billion. Unlike the previous week, broad-based equity ETFs, including S&P, NASDAQ, and Russell, all saw below average demand, potentially due to retail investors' preference for single names. Uh, For the week, the Dow gained 1.27%, while the S&P 500 advanced 1%, and the NASDAQ Composite tracked 0.89% higher. Looking ahead, the energy sector will be tuned in to the delayed OPEC Plus meeting next week amid reports of disagreements among members over how much production to cut. Crude oil futures have steadied over the last week in front of the OPEC meeting, but are down more than 10% over the last six weeks. Underlining the high stakes of the meeting, Seeking Alpha analyst Zoltan Ban called crude oil prices the key to interest rates and market performance next year. Key economic reports in the week ahead include updates on new home sales, consumer confidence, construction spending, and the latest reading on the Federal Reserve's favorite inflation gauge. The PCE reading on core inflation is expected to show a 0.2% month-over-month and 3.5% year-over-year increase. On the corporate calendar, Amazon's reInvent conference is anticipated to create some AI buzz for the Seattle-based company. Tesla will also hold an event at the Gigafactory in Austin to mark the first official deliveries of the long-awaited Cybertruck. Tesla is targeting production of 200,000 Cybertrucks per year, according to CEO Elon Musk. I can't emphasize enough that manufacturing is much, much harder than the initial design, noted Musk on the challenges of ramping up production. The end of the week will also see the first batch of November deliveries reports arrive from automakers. The earnings calendar is heavily tilted to the tech sector, with Zscaler, Salesforce, Dell Technologies, and Snowflake, some of the notables, lined up to report. Uh, First... Article into the Bitcoin news is uh, Hodler's Digest from Cointelegraph for the week ending uh, from November 19th through the 25th. First story, uh, U.S. officials announce $4.3 billion settlement with Binance plea deal with CZ. Binance and its co-founder Changpeng CZ Zhao have reached a settlement over criminal and civil cases with the United States Department of Justice. CZ will plead guilty to one felony charge as part of the negotiated agreement. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced the settlement 
claiming Binance's policies allowed criminals involved in illicit activities to move stolen funds through the exchange. As part of the settlement, CZ announced on X, formerly Twitter, that he had stepped down as CEO and that Binance's global head of regional markets, Richard Tang, will assume the position. He added he was proud to point out that the U.S. officials didn't allege that Binance misappropriated funds or manipulated markets. CZ was released on bail and is battling government efforts to bar his return to the United Arab Emirates to be with his family. The sentencing is scheduled for February. BlackRock met with SEC officials to discuss spot Bitcoin ETF. Representatives from BlackRock and NASDAQ met with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission to discuss the proposed rule allowing the listing of a spot Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. BlackRock provided a presentation detailing how the firm could use an in-kind or in-cash redemption model for its iShares Bitcoin trust. Many reports have suggested the SEC could be nearing a decision on a spot Bitcoin ETF for listing on U.S. markets. SEC officials also met with Grayscale representatives this week to discuss the listing of a Bitcoin ETF. <clears throat> BlackRock is one of the many firms with spot crypto ETF applications in the SEC pipeline awaiting a response, including Fidelity, WisdomTree, Invesco Galaxy, Valkyrie, VanEck, and Bitwise. Bitcoin user pays $3.1 million transaction fee for a 139 Bitcoin transfer. A Bitcoin user paid $3.1 million in fees for transferring 139.42 Bitcoin. The transaction fee is the eighth highest in Bitcoin's 14-year history. A wallet address tried transferring 139.42 Bitcoin only to pay more than half the actual value of the transaction fee. The destination address received only 55.77 Bitcoin. The mining pool Ant Pool captured the absurdly high mining fee on block 818087. This is the largest Bitcoin transaction fee ever paid in dollar terms, knocking off Paxos's September transfer of $500,000. SEC sues Kraken, alleging it's an unregistered exchange, mixes user funds. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has sued Kraken, alleging it commingled customer funds and failed to register with the regulator as a securities exchange broker, dealer, and clearing agency. Additionally, the SEC alleged Kraken's business practices and deficient internal controls saw the exchange commingle up to $33 billion worth of customer assets with its own. The SEC said this resulted in a significant risk of loss for its clients. In a follow-up blog post, Kraken said that the SEC's commingling accusations were no more than Kraken spending fees that it already earned, and the regulator doesn't allege any user funds are missing. Appeals Court rejects Sam Bankman-Fried's bid for release. Sam Bankman-Fried will stay jailed after failing to convince a United States appellate court that he should be freed while his legal team appeals his conviction. Government prosecutors accused Bankman-Fried of leaking Caroline Ellison's journals to the New York Times in July, which caused his bail to be revoked by a New York District Court. Bankman-Fried was found guilty of seven fraud and money laundering related charges on November 2nd. The former FTX CEO will remain behind bars while he awaits his sentencing on March 28 next year. A few memorable quotations. Uh, this one is from Charles Hoskinson, founder of Cardano, a shitcoin, but I like the quote, the U.S. has a financial regime that basically has been weaponized. Uh, this one from Cheng Peng CZ Zhao, former CEO of Binance. I made mistakes and I must take responsibility. 
quote from the OpenAI employees, we the employees of OpenAI have developed the best models and pushed the field to new frontiers, but the process through which you terminated Sam Altman has jeopardized all of this work and undermined our mission and company. Jesse Powell, co-founder of Kraken, get your crypto company out of the U.S. war zone. Oliver Lynch, CEO of Bittrex Global, the regulatory uncertainty that permeates the U.S. market is having an impact on the rest of the world. And finally, Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, I'm looking forward to returning to OpenAI and building on our strong partnership with Microsoft. Uh, prediction of the week, Bitcoin buyers should enjoy the chance to add to their stack below 40,000, according to Plan B, pseudonymous creator of the stock to flow family of Bitcoin price models. He believes Bitcoin will rise much higher than its recent 18 month high. Bitcoin bear market bottoms are characterized by the spot price dipping below the realized price, while bull markets begin once the spot crosses the two year and five month realized price levels. Bitcoin US dollar is now once again above all three realized price iterations. Enjoy sub 40K Bitcoin while it lasts, Plan B commented on an accompanying chart. Asked whether the market should expect lower levels from here, Plan B would not be drawn, saying that he simply expected an average Bitcoin price of at least $100,000 between 2024 and 2028, Bitcoin's next halving cycle. Bud of the week, HTX to restore services within 24 hours after $30 million hack. Crypto exchange HTX, formerly known as Huobi Global, resumed deposits and withdrawals within 24 hours after severing a $30 million exploit on November 22nd. The exploit was reported to be $13.6 million around the time of the incident, <clears throat> but has since increased in value. HTX's hot wallets were compromised alongside a coordinated $86.6 million attack against the HTX Eco chain bridge consisting of HTX, Tron, and BitTorrent. The company has promised to fully compensate users for any losses incurred as a consequence of the hack. <clears throat> CZ, an unacceptable risk of flight, should stay in the U.S., according to the DOJ. United States prosecutors are trying to stop former Binance boss Chang Peng CZ Zhao from leaving the country, expressing concern about his potential flight risk. <clears throat> the government requested a review and overturn of a judge's decision that would allow Zhao to return to his home in the United Arab Emirates on a $175 million bond under the condition that he returns to the U.S. two weeks before his February 2024 sentencing. In a proposed order, prosecutors wrote that Zhao presents an unacceptable risk of flight, arguing that his ties and favored status in the UAE, along with the country's lack of an extradition treaty with the U.S., are reasons to block him from leaving the country. KyberSwap hacker offers $4.6 million bounty for return of $46 million loot. The decentralized exchange KyberSwap has offered a 10% bounty reward to the hacker who stole $46 million in November 22nd and left a note of negotiation. The exchange wants 90% of the loot returned. The hacker made away with roughly $20 million in wrapped Ether, $7 million in wrapped Lido staked Ether, and $4 million in Arbitrum tokens. The hacker then siphoned the loot across multiple chains, including Arbitrum, Optimism, Ethereum, Polygon, and Base. Uh, and that pretty much wraps it up. 
Uh, next up is uh, from Bitcoin.com, and this is the week in review, their summary of uh, key news articles of the week. Uh, first one is DOJ announces 4.3 billion settlement with Binance CZ to step down as part of the plea deal. Already went over that. SEC identifies 16 crypto tokens as securities in Kraken lawsuit. United States Securities and Exchange Commission has identified 16 crypto tokens as securities in its lawsuit against cryptocurrency exchange Kraken. Some of the alleged crypto securities were the same as those highlighted in the SEC's lawsuits against Coinbase and Binance. Kraken CEO stressed, we strongly disagree with the SEC claims, stand firm in our view that we do not list securities and plan to vigorously defend our position. Bitcoin Mining Pool, F2 Pool, acknowledges OFAC transaction censorship, backpedals after community backlash. F2 Pool, a Bitcoin mining pool, has admitted to filtering transactions coming from Bitcoin addresses flagged by the Office of Foreign Assets Control. After the situation was discovered by 0xB110C, a Bitcoin developer, F2 Pool co-founder Chun Wang acknowledged that his pool was indeed applying this filter, announcing it would drop the censorship until there was consensus in the community on the issue. Tether freezes $225 million in USDT after DOJ investigation, calling it largest ever freeze of USDT. Tether has announced the largest ever freeze of USDT in history in collaboration with crypto exchange OKX. Tether froze $225 million of USDT following an investigation by the United States Department of Justice. The tokens were allegedly linked to an international human trafficking syndicate in Southeast Asia responsible for a global pig butchering, quote unquote, crypto scam. All right, next up is, uh, and I don't think I'm going to go through the whole article because it's a very long press release, but this is from the Office of Public Affairs of the United States Department of Justice, press release entitled Binance and CEO Plead Guilty to Federal Charges in $4 billion Resolution. So I'm going to read through a little bit of it and then give you my take. Um so Binance Holdings Limited, the entity that operates the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, Binance.com, pleaded guilty today and has agreed to pay over $4 billion to resolve the Justice Department's investigation into violations related to the Bank Secrecy Act, failure to register as a money transmitting business, and the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. Binance's founder and chief executive officer, Changpeng Zhao, a Canadian national, also pleaded guilty to failing to maintain an effective anti-money laundering program in violation of the BSA and has resigned as CEO of Binance. Binance's guilty plea is part of a coordinated resolutions uh, with the Department of the Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network and Office of Foreign Assets Control and the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Binance became the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange in part because of the crimes it committed. Now it is paying one of the largest corporate penalties in U.S. history, said Attorney General Merrick B. Garland. In just the past month, the Justice Department has successfully prosecuted the CEOs of two of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges in two separate criminal cases. The message here should be clear. Using new technology to break the law does not make you a disruptor. It makes you a criminal. 
Binance turned a blind eye to its legal obligations in the pursuit of profit. Its willful failures allowed money to flow to terrorists, cyber criminals, and child abusers through its platform, said Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen. Today's historic penalties and monitorship to ensure compliance with U.S. law and regulations mark a milestone for the virtual currency industry. Any institution, wherever located, that wants to reap the benefits of the U.S. financial system must also play by the rules that keep us all safe from terrorists, foreign adversaries, and crime or face the consequences. And there's lots of other quotes in here from other officials, um, all pretty much repeating the same thing, which is that, uh, you know, it was all about corporate greed and profit. Uh, no mention at all of uh, pushing back on, you know, KYC and AML as, uh, you know, um, illegal censorship, uh, invasion of privacy, um, innocent until proven guilty, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so what you really have here is this is, uh, really, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's more, it's more about control of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency than it is anything else. If you think about all of the laws that have been passed over many, many years, going back to the Bank Secrecy Act, and there's been several, and I wrote about this in a recent blog post. Um, many, many laws have been passed to crack down on drugs, terrorism, cybercrime, human trafficking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, here, here we are today. It's still happening. Um, where is most of that money coming from? It's coming from the fiat system because the fiat system is by and large, the majority, it is our financial system. You know, it's, you know, the crypto uh, system is maybe uh, a trillion dollars total value. The fiat system is um, orders of magnitude higher than that. Multiple orders of magnitude larger than that. So, if it was really about stopping all of this crime, it would it would they would focus on the banks and the other and they already have laws on the books for that and they're not stopping them. So instead what we're doing is we're giving up our freedom and liberty and our privacy and our information uh, to the government to quote keep us safe. So it's a trade-off of freedom for safety. And and are we really safer? The answer in my mind is no. And uh, and uh, the real criminals are the people that are taking U.S. taxpayer dollars and borrowing money and uh, funding, you know, uh, regime change and wars in foreign soil and, and things of that nature. That's the real criminal act. But again, it's about uh, I think mostly about clearing the deck for the ETF. They want to they want to basically make sure that Binance is going to be controlled and controllable, just like Coinbase. So there isn't any, uh, you know, manipulation of the price or whatever. And they want to uh, basically control the, uh, the system. And so this is really what this is. And it's fundamentally, I mean, it's an attack on privacy. And we have to understand that that this is not about combating crime because uh, if it was, they would be focusing on the fiat system. And frankly, they already have a bunch of laws on the books that don't work, that they're not able to 
even even sanctions. I mean, they talk about in here quite a bit about the fact that U.S. entities, U.S. people were selling and buying and they're dealing with people in sanctioned countries. Well, are those individuals criminals? Probably not all of them. In fact, maybe only a small percentage of them. But again, uh, sanctions don't work. And they don't work because fiat works around sanctions, not cryptocurrency. So bottom line is, uh, this is just really sad and pathetic. And, um, um, you know, it's, it's probably only the beginning. And on a personal note, it's uh, important for you not to hold your, um, hold your coins on an exchange. You need to make sure you hold them in, in self-custody. Um, because the, uh, and, and we also have to face the fact that, that probably if you're going to be buying Bitcoin in the United States, and indeed, if you have, you know, over the last couple of years, it's KYC. And, and they, so you just know that the government knows what you have. And that's fine as long as, uh, you know, you don't try to sell it and not pay your taxes. But they know what you have. And so um, you just have to, you know, factor that into your calculus. And um, you need to consider the tax implications of the transactions. And uh, if you want true privacy, uh, you know, and you might have to move someday, especially if they... Uh, if they make, uh, you know, they kind of do an 8102 like they did with gold and uh, basically say that you can't hold Bitcoin in private custody. You know, don't don't ever think that that couldn't happen. So you have to really, really think in adversarial terms in, in, in when you're holding your Bitcoin, um, especially given this type of activity, because it's, it's probably not going to end here. In fact, I know it's not going to end here because we, we already talked about a few other uh, situations like Kraken and others, and I'll cover a few more things here as well that should give you concern about the regulatory environment. Uh, and again, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can read the full thing, but it's it's just mostly a bunch of garbage and it's very repetitive, um, so I tried to pull out the key elements for you. Uh, next up is from Cointelegraph. This is an article entitled Wallet of Satoshi Vanishes from Apple and Google's U.S. App Stores. And this was posted on November 24th. Bitcoin Lightning Payments app Wallet of Satoshi has disappeared from Apple's App Store and Google's Play Store in the United States as it closes in on over 1 million transactions for November. On November 24th, several users and crypto community participants shared on X their attempts to search for the uh, Wallet of Satoshi app, which turned up no results or redirected users to competing wallet apps. However, the Wallet of Satoshi app still appeared for download on the Australian App Store and the Australian and Singapore Google Play Store versions at the time of writing. Wallet of Satoshi is a popular Lightning Payments platform that is on pace to process over 1.1 million Lightning payments in November, according to the industry author and podcaster Kevin Rook. Rook added that it would be the firm's largest month of lightning payments ever. However, Wallet of Satoshi cleared the confusion on an X post after stating that it was not banned from the app stores. We've made the difficult decision to remove our app from the U.S., Apple and Google app stores, and will not serve U.S. customers going forward. The post did not clarify the reasons for the abrupt withdrawal of the services in the U.S., although it hinted at a possible resumption depending on future developments. 
Existing users in the USA can retain full access to their Bitcoin funds and have the ability to transfer their tokens to other wallets. Apple did not immediately respond to a request for more details. So uh, this is probably in response to regulatory concerns. Um, the Wallet of Satoshi is a non-custodial wallet, which means that, uh, I'm sorry, it's a custodial wallet, uh, which means that uh, they hold the keys, you don't hold the keys. It's also centralized, so it's always a risk of you know a rug pull. Um, and it's gotten to the size where uh, probably regulators are starting to, or they're concerned about regulators moving in uh, and asking, because they don't currently require KYC for, for anybody who uh, sets up a wallet. But that's uh, probably not okay with the U.S. regulators. And so um, their solution was to just pull out of the U.S. But the reality is, is that's not going to work because, um, you know, what if a U.S. resident is faking and saying that they're an Australian resident and they're not? Well, you know, so you, 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 it's very difficult to escape the long arm of enforcement. So they're probably either facing um, going out of business or having to KYC because also a lot of the rest of the world follows the same rules as the U.S. as it relates to KYC and AML just because of the dollar dominance in the world economy. So uh, keep an eye on it. But if you do use a Lightning wallet, you might want to try a different one, move your coins out of Wallet of Satoshi and move it to uh, Phoenix is good, Breeze. I've heard Mutiny. I haven't used Mutiny, but I have used Phoenix. Uh, Moon Wallet is okay as well. Uh, those supposedly it's not great for Lightning payments, but um, but there's plenty of other choices that are um, that are custodial, uh, and in particular, I think Mutiny is browser-based, so you don't even need to have an app. So it's agnostic to whether or not it's on on the app or the Google Play Store, which is probably where you want to be in terms of resilience, uh, self-custodial and browser-based. So uh, next up uh, from Crypto Potato, this was posted on November 26th. Uh, and this goes in a little bit more detail of article we discussed earlier. F2 Pool identified as first Bitcoin mining pool to filter transactions. A fundamental aspect of Bitcoin's appeal lies in its status as a form of currency resistant to censorship and immune to arbitrary regulations. The principle is that anyone with the means to cover network fees should be able to engage in transactions without requiring permission. However, the new, a new report suggests that a major Bitcoin mining pool filtered transactions based on sanctions imposed by the United States Office of Foreign Assets Control. According to Xerox B10C, a pseudonymous Bitcoin developer and owner of a project called Mining Pool Observer, F2 Pool became the first Bitcoin mining pool to filter transactions based on the OFAC sanctions. The Mining Pool Observer tool identified six Bitcoin transactions originating from addresses subject to OFAC sanctions that were not included in blocks. It's important to note that the two transactions absent from the mining pool via BTC and Foundry USA pool blocks are considered false positives and were not intentionally filtered. On the contrary, the four OFAC sanctioned transactions were, that were absent from F2 pool blocks are likely to have been intentionally filtered. This raises the question of why F2 pool 
Originating from Asia is the first mining pool to adopt transaction filtering based on U.S. OFAC sanctions. The Bitcoin network functions without disruption, and the actions of a single pool filtering transactions do not jeopardize its overarching censorship resistance. However, it is important to note that F2 Pool, being the third largest Bitcoin mining pool and accounting for 13.7% of all mined blocks in the past year, means that approximately 1 in 7 Bitcoin blocks could potentially be mined under a censorship scenario if F2 Pool actively initiates the filtering of sanctioned transactions. F2 Pool co-founder Chun Wang <coughs> announced that the Bitcoin mining pool would deactivate the transaction filtering patch. Wang stated in the post that the filter would stay inactive until the community reaches a more comprehensive consensus on this topic. This revelation confirms F2 Pool's deliberate censorship of transactions sanctioned by OFAC, prompting concerns about the possibility of a recurrence in the future. And indeed, this is something that we all need to pay attention to. Um, next up is from Crypto News. This is posted on November 25th. Tether and Bitfinex settle dispute will share information under FOIL request. Here's what you need to know. Tether and Bitfinex have agreed to settle their dispute regarding a freedom of information law request filed by a group of journalists, including Zeke Foe from Bloomberg Businessweek. In a recent announcement, Tether hailed the move as a step towards greater transparency in the industry. While Tether and Bitfinex have emphasized their commitment to transparency, they clarified that this does not mean a complete release of all their documents. Companies stated that a wholesale release of all their documents would not align with standard business practices. Nonetheless, their decision to drop opposition to the FOIL request shows a willingness to share information within certain boundaries. This is not the first time Tether has failed, faced a FOIL request. In June 2021, Coindesk filed a similar request pertaining to documents related to Tether's reserves during the New York Attorney General's inquiry. Tether attempted to block the release of these documents, but lost in court. Coindesk joined the case to advocate for the document's release, arguing that it was in the public interest. Tether opposed Coindesk's involvement, but a New York judge dismissed their opposition. In their recent statement, Tether and Bitfinex expressed their willingness to engage constructively with journalists and regulatory authorities who adhere to ethical reporting standards and respect data privacy boundaries. We remain open to constructive engagement with journalists and regulatory authorities who adhere to ethical reporting standards and respect data privacy boundaries. Direct quote. Tether's USDT is currently the largest stablecoin in the world with a value of approximately $88.5 billion. It plays a crucial role in the cryptocurrency ecosystem by facilitating the movement of funds globally. However, concerns have been raised about the use of USDT in illicit activities. Zeke Foe in his book Number Goes Up highlighted instances of USDT being involved in scams, including pig butchering scams. It is worth noting that Tether and the U.S. Department of Justice recently announced the freezing of funds associated with such scams. Furthermore, there has been some controversy surrounding the backing of Tether's USDT stablecoin. USDT is a type of stablecoin that's pegged to the value of the U.S. dollar with the intention of providing stability and reliability in the volatile world of cryptocurrencies. However, questions have arisen regarding the extent to which USDT is actually backed by reserves. Tether has claimed that each USDT token is backed on a one-to-one -one basis by U.S. dollars held in reserve. 
However, the lack of a transparent audit or regulatory oversight has fueled skepticism and led to accusations that Tether does not have sufficient reserves to fully back all the USDT in circulation. And uh, personally, I wouldn't own any Tether. I think it's a shitcoin. I would just hold on to your Bitcoin. Uh, and then uh, next up here from Bitcoin Magazine. This was uh, posted on November 22nd. Uh, and this one is uh, it's a good article. Uh, really, really uh, agree with a lot of the stuff that's uh, in here. Called State Adoption, a Trojan Horse Challenging Core Tenets of Personal Liberty. The saying, government will ban Bitcoin, is one of the most frequently used pieces of FUD. It is something that every Bitcoiner intellectually wrestles with on their journey down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. It is frequently cited reason by those skeptical of Bitcoin to justify their reluctance to explore further education. Thankfully, many excellent writers have written extensively debunking this piece of FUD. Bitcoiners often emphasize the log logistical challenges, intense resource costs, game theoretical complexities, and the sheer implausibility of any attempt by the state to outlaw Bitcoin. While Bitcoiners hail these writings as compelling evidence of the inevitable advent of hyper-Bitcoinization, the subsequent logical question is frequently unexamined or hastily dismissed. If the government's ability to ban Bitcoin is constrained, what alternative strategies might it employ to undermine or co-opt the network? What if instead of a direct ban on Bitcoin, the state employed subtle and indirect strategies to manipulate or even co-opt it, ultimately achieving the same goal of rendering it ineffective or worse, a tool for state control? Bitcoin poses an existential threat to the state's monopoly on money. To be more precise, it is Bitcoin's attributes of decentralization, self-sovereignty, censorship resistance, and pseudonymity that challenge the state's control over individual liberty. What if, rather than outright banning Bitcoin, the state could neutralize its disruptive properties by integrating and endorsing it? What if the government could harness Bitcoin's number-go-up technology to enforce its objectives and undermine the very ethos that defines Bitcoin today? The initial users of Bitcoin were pioneers fueled by their convictions. To many of these early adopters, Bitcoin encapsulated their ideological principles stemming from the cypherpunk movement and free market anarchism. They perceived the technology as the realization of their dreams for emancipation from government oversight and the fruition of financial independence. Over time, the reasons for joining the network shifted from ideological to practical motivations. A growing number of users turned to Bitcoin solely for pragmatic purposes, viewing it primarily as a superior monetary asset for economic activity compared to contemporary fiat currencies. Moreover, the allure of potential exponential growth and purchasing power, number go up, became a significant draw for many newcomers, sparking curiosity and speculation about when such growth might occur. As the Bitcoin network expands, ideological motivations among users will naturally diminish, giving way to a greater focus on seeking improved, more sound money, rather than a strong emphasis on separating money from government control for preserving individual freedoms. This pragmatic shift unveils a vulnerability that the state might leverage to influence against the network. To delve deeper, separating money from the state empowers Bitcoin to operate independently, ensuring freedom from direct governmental intervention and emphasizing financial autonomy and user privacy. This strategic approach 
aims to completely remove the currency from centralized authority, bolstering individual liberty. Conversely, the state adopting Bitcoin involves the government acknowledging and integrating Bitcoin into its existing financial structure, potentially instituting regulations while retaining a degree of control over individual freedoms. The state's ultimate advantage lies in what's known as the ratchet effect, a social mechanism used to diminish individual freedoms during crises by implementing supposedly temporary measures of authority that frequently persist long after a crisis has passed. This technique serves as the blueprint for unchecked growth in state power. Recently, the conflict in the Middle East prompted FinCEN to seek expanded powers under the Patriot Act. Their aim was to enforce stringent regulations and effectively outlaw privacy tools within the realm of Bitcoin, all in an effort to strip users of their ability to attain privacy within the network. Despite the lack of substantial evidence linking Bitcoin to funding nefarious activities in this particular case, the state's intentions have become transparent. Whether these measures will be fully implemented remains uncertain at present. However, the ominous reality remains. The groundwork has been laid, and a similar agenda could easily resurface in the face of the next crisis. Throughout history, one thing remains evident. The state requires only a crisis of catastrophic proportions to rally overwhelming public support. By doing so, the state might endeavor to bifurcate the network into two factions, a white market and a black market Bitcoin. These actions could provide institutions and state entities with the regulatory clarity needed to embrace the network in a politically viable manner. As institutions finally arrive, prepared to invest their capital, it's bound to trigger a significant surge in price, fueling the frenzy around NGU. At this juncture, it'll become quite evident who desires to separate money from the state and who desires better money for the state. If the state aimed to divide and take control of the network, what additional objectives might it pursue? One such objective would involve the ossification of the network. To be fair, the discussion surrounding Bitcoin network ossification is an intricate, philosophical, and highly debated. In my view, it would be a targeted outcome sought by the state. The economic reality of scaling poses significant and potentially insurmountable technical hurdles for self-custody long-term. As the network ossifies sooner, the necessity for custodianship intensifies among an increasing number of network participants. Increased custodianship facilitates the state's ability to enforce censorship, even for individuals who still hold their private keys. Any business seeking to function within the state's jurisdiction must adhere to its censorship requirements, regardless of its proclaimed ideology. Consider a scenario where privacy tools are banned due to a crisis, leading the state to establish a sanctioned ledger of approved addresses or users. Every business in the economy would be obliged to uphold the state's directive to operate legally, even for individuals who hold their keys. Compliance with the state's mandates and censorship would become imperative to participate in legal economic exchanges. This showcases how the state would censor the Bitcoin network, not directly at the protocol level, but indirectly through regulatory societal enforcement. If the state aimed <clears throat> to ossify the network, what strategies might it employ to socially encourage this outcome? To begin with, it could strive to render the consensus upgrade process resource-intensive and contentious. There's a school of thought suggesting that Bitcoin's absence of a formal upgrade protocol serves as an advantage, preventing potential system manipulation by attackers. 
While this notion holds merit, it also adds complexity and risk to the coordinating upgrades among users and miners. Due to the absence of a formal upgrade protocol, network participants like node operators and miners lack a precise method to signal their support for specific upgrades. Consider this example scenario. I support BIP 119 and would readily and programmatically upgrade my node if a defined percentage of the global hash rate or network nodes signaled their intentions to coordinate an upgrade as well. However, without an upgrade protocol in place, accurately quantifying market sentiment for potential upgrades relies solely on social signals, which are challenging to measure accurately. The situation elevates the risk associated with any upgrade as it holds the potential to fragment the network. Relying solely on social signals for upgrades as the network expands will hasten ossification, arriving sooner rather than later. Bringing together the threads of this thought experiment paints a rather sobering picture of a potential future landscape for Bitcoin. Let me be clear, this thought experiment doesn't chart a definitive course for what's ahead. However, the reality remains a significant amount of state power is tightly interwoven with the stability of its fiat currency. As interventionist policies persistently erode the value of fiat currency, the state, grappling with an existential threat, will fiercely endeavor to maintain its facade of authority. This will involve heightened efforts to shape public perception and resorting to draconian measures to retain control. During crises, the state historically manufactures consent, and in its desperation, even co-opting Bitcoin to serve as a tool for state control might emerge as a conceivable outcome. We should not be so quick to cheer on the state's adoption of Bitcoin if it comes with strings attached. Rather than readily acquiesce, we must scrutinize state adoption of Bitcoin to ensure it does not betray founding principles. The tempting carrot of mainstream approval and number go up could conceal the stick of attempted centralized control. If integrating Bitcoin requires compromising aspects of its censorship resistance or the peer-to-peer structure, we must unflinchingly refuse, no matter the supposed financial benefits. Amidst such critical circumstances, it becomes crucial to not just withdraw our consent, but actively participate in nonviolent civil disobedience while rallying behind those developers dedicated to making the tools at our disposal more accessible for ordinary individuals. This multifaceted approach stands as a pivotal course of action in times of urgency. The war against state capture is a battle on multiple fronts and every individual plays a role in ushering in Bitcoin's future. With each passing day, Bitcoin's resilience and anti-fragility grow deeper into mainstream society, but without tireless vigilance upholding its ideological vision, the Bitcoin our grandchildren inherit may be unrecognizable, neutered and leashed, stripped of its liberating potential through regulatory capture. We must be steadfast guardians, uncompromising in the face of those who would erode its emancipatory promise. Though the road is arduous, our principles today can secure financial sovereignty for generations to come. Let us carry the torch of individual liberty so its light may one day illuminate a just world where Bitcoin fulfills its purpose as independent, peer-to-peer money for all, unfettered by censorship or authoritarian control. Our actions today shape the economic em- emancipation of tomorrow. Again, great piece. Really totally agree with it. Okay, next up from Cointelegraph. This was posted on November 23rd. Melee presidential victory fuels optimism in Argentina's Bitcoin community. After a long and dramatic presidential race, 
libertarian candidate Javier Mille triumphed in Argentina's presidential election on November 19th. Mille promises to abolish the country's central bank among a slew of other radical policy changes capturing the attention and imagination of the crypto community. With 99% of the vote counted on Sunday, November 19th, Mille was declared the winner. The flamboyant politician secured the favor of 55% of the electorate with 3 million more ballots to his name than rival Sergio Massa. Fernando Nicolich, an Argentine Bitcoin advocate and founder of media analyst firm Bitcoin Perception, told Cointelegraph that Mille has spoken positively about Bitcoin when asked about it in interviews, but also pointed out that enthusiasm should be tempered by the fact that passing any sort of law that is considered Bitcoin friendly is not part of his official program. Nikolic added that as an advocate for free market money, Mille is also unlikely to pass any laws that would harm Bitcoin. Ivan Paz, the CEO of crypto trading platform Trading Different, took a positive view of the election results. According to Paz, Mille's free market policy agenda is likely to reinvigorate the Argentina's flagging economy. Argentina will enter a cycle of accelerated economic recovery driven by the confidence of local and foreign investors, Paz told Cointelegraph. The reduction of the tax burden and the legal guarantee will once again make Argentina an attractive country to project in the long term. Many Argentinians now look forward to sweeping reforms. Camilo Jorahuria de Leon, vice president of Bitcoin Argentina, reminded the incoming president to keep his electoral promises. Bitcoin is for monetary freedom, and that was precisely one of the proposals of the president-elect. As Bitcoiners, we hope he fulfills his promise. Mille's first task in office will be taming the nation's runaway inflation, which hit 143% in October. For comparison, United States inflation peaked at 9.1% in June 2022 and is now 3.2%. With the spending power of the Argentine peso in freefall, it's little wonder that Argentinians voted for the candidate proposing to cut almost all public expenditures in big government. Mille promises to reinvent and reinvigorate Argentina's economy with a completely new approach. The beliefs that underpin the policy agenda of the libertarian anarcho-capitalist are likely to resonate with many in the crypto community. His headline policies include blowing up the central bank to prevent money printing, ditching the peso in favor of the US dollar, and scrapping almost every form of welfare in the country. The president-elect confirmed his future plan for government departments in a dramatic video circulating on social media. Ministry of Sports and Tourism, out, said Mille. Ministry of Culture, out. Ministry of the Environment and Sustainable Development, out. In the video, Mille punctuates every cut by tearing the name of the department off a whiteboard and tossing it aside. While President-elect Mille may embody a maverick spirit that appeals to Bitcoiners and the ideological proclivities in the cryptosphere, that is not the same thing as actively supporting it. The president-elect previously outlined why Bitcoin is useful as a monetary instrument free from state control. In a video posted to Reddit's uh, our Bitcoin 11 months ago, Mille states his position. What is the point? The point is that the first thing we have to understand is that the central bank is a scam, said Mille. It is a mechanism by which politicians cheat the good people with inflationary tax. What Bitcoin is representing is the return of money to its original creator, the private sector. Mille adds, Bitcoin is the natural reaction against central banker scammers and to make the money private again. 
The new president may praise Bitcoin as a financial instrument, but that is somewhat different from what Bitcoin advocates may wish for. Undoubtedly, there are those who hope Argentina will adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. Cointelegraph asked Nikolic what the election of Milay means for cryptocurrency advocates. I don't believe this will drastically alter the current landscape, Nikolic said. Argentinians have been embracing Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies for many years. My hope is that in the long term, Argentina becomes more entrepreneur-friendly, prosperous, and free, helping to mend the significant cracks in the country's foundational structure. Nikolic added that the widespread adoption of Bitcoin across the nation may be slow if 50% of its citizens live below the poverty line and lack an understanding of savings concepts. That's not something that can change overnight. Miele's policy, broader economic policies, will need time to bed in. As for the million-dollar question, will Bitcoin become legal tender in Argentina? Nikolic suggests that legal tender certification may be marginally less important than it seems. I'm of the view that adoption is more robust when it emerges organically from the grassroots rather than being imposed top-down. I'm hopeful that Bitcoin adopted in Argentina will continue to flourish, especially as the country progresses under Miele's leadership and its people begin to experience improved living conditions. Soaring inflation is not the only problem facing Miele and government. When the president-elect takes office on December 10th, he will take the reins of a country facing a laundry list of economic challenges. Chief among them is the fact that Argentina is the International Monetary Fund's biggest borrower. The country owes the IMF a massive $31 billion. The body gave the president a nod and a wink as early as Monday. Christina Georgieva, managing director of the IMF, was among those congratulating Miele on his electoral success. Economist Nicholas Litvinov believes Miele will need to get the IMF monkey off his back as a matter of first priority. I think the most important thing is to regain autonomy in terms of monetary policy. On the one hand, to accumulate reserves in the central bank that are practically non-existent now, said Litvinov, before adding that Miele must restore the purchasing power of wages to reactivate consumption in the economy. But for that, you need the International Monetary Fund out of the way. Miele first came to prominence as an economist, author, and political commentator. Western media outlets compare Miele to former U.S. President Donald Trump, but the similarities drawn are often shallow. Both men are populist from outside the political mainstream. Both men rode a wave of public disaffection to electoral success. Both men have unconventional hair. Such comparisons are just as likely to obfuscate as enlighten. Miele was born in 1970 in Argentina's capital, Buenos Aires. He was raised as a Catholic, which informs his politics to this day. While Miele is mostly socially liberal, he is opposed to both abortion and euthanasia. He supports freedom of choice on drugs, guns, prostitution, and same-sex marriage. In his youth, Miele sang in a Rolling Stones cover band. His presentation style owes much more to the rock world than to the political. During the campaign, Miele, the showman, brought a chainsaw to his rallies, frequently revving it up and raising it triumphantly above his head. For supporters, Miele's chainsaw was a metaphor for the drastic cuts his administration would take to curb government spending and rein in inflation. For opponents, the chainsaw represented something else, a dangerous and cavalier individual waving around a chainsaw in public. They dubbed him El Loco, the crazy one or madman. That was little matter. Miele's message and style resonated with voters sick of the status quo, no matter how crazy he seemed to the doubters. 
As for his rival, Sergio Massa, the chainsaw took on a final, more ominous meaning as Mele cut him down this weekend in a very public chainsaw massacre. Now that Mele has the keys to the president's office, the cleanup of Argentina's broken system must begin. And while I don't really have a lot of faith in politicians, um, you certainly got to wish, wish Argentina hope that, uh, and hope that they will uh, be able to recover uh, their economy, their system with uh, some, some new leadership. And uh, last but not least is a little bit more detail on an article I mentioned earlier. This is from Cointelegraph, posted on November 24th. Enjoy sub-40K Bitcoin, Plan B stresses. Uh, 100,000 average Bitcoin price from 2024. Bitcoin buyers should enjoy the chance to add to their stack below 40,000, said one of crypto industry's household names in a post on X on November 24th. Plan B, creator of the stock-to-flow family of Bitcoin pricing models, hinted that current levels would not be around long. Bitcoin is destined to go much higher than its recent 18-month highs, Plan B believes, and time is ticking to increase Bitcoin exposure below 40000 Known for his optimistic takes on long-term Bitcoin price growth, Plan B used realized price data to support the case for bulls. Realized price is Bitcoin's realized cap, the sum total price at which all Bitcoin last moved, divided by the current supply. It is currently at just below 21000 Bitcoin bear market bottoms are characterized by the spot price dipping below the realized price, while bull markets begin once the spot crosses the two-year and the five-month realized price levels. These refer to the realized price of coins that last moved within the last two years or the last five months, younger coins. Bitcoin US dollar is now once again above all three realized price iterations. Uh, and then he has his famous quote, enjoy the sub 40k and he put it on his chart which is in the article that you can look at <clears throat> asked whether the market should expect lower levels from here plan b would not be drawn saying that he simply expected it to be an average of 100,000 between 2024 and 2028 bitcoin's next halving cycle uh, while plan b has fielded criticism over stock to flow and conceded that bitcoin was not able to live up to his expectations during the 2021 bull market Six-figure predictions for the next cycle are increasingly common. As Cointelegraph reported, these are coalescing around an area with 130 as its focus for the end of 2025. The halving event, meanwhile, due in April 2024, should produce a return to around 46,000, per their analysis says. Earlier this month, Plan B described Bitcoin as being in a pre-bull market phase with the real launch yet to come. And last but not least, I did want to mention this week's uh, blog post on Substack entitled Bitcoin and Robocop, The Future is Here Now. I'll put a link in the show notes, so please uh, check it out when you get a chance. It is free. And with that, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Um, also, you should try listening to it on Fountain, and you can earn sats just for listening. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com, and you can follow me on Noster. My NPUB it will be in the show notes. 
And with that, I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.